nerds, what's going on? It's Tasha McNerney, and I am here for another super fun episode of the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. And this week, I am joined by a guest that's a little bit different. He has a large following on the social medias. You may have heard of him or seen him. We are going to talk about some anesthesia-adjacent subjects today. Um, So please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Andy Rourke. All right. Can I talk now? Yeah, you're allowed to talk. Okay, good. All right. I don't. (laughs) I what I'm really trying to do here is make Rob's job as easy as possible. So I may let everyone else down Mm -hmm. with this episode, with this interview, but not Rob. We got to keep it together for Rob. Your husband who edits. Yes, I think people know by now that my husband is doing all of the editing, um, and that my husband is a a veterinary technician himself as well. So excellent veterinary um, technician. So Andy. What I wanted to talk to you today about on this episode of the podcast, again, because you're not working in surgery yourself, but you are still working clinically. Correct? Yeah, totally. I uh, I am an appointment internal medicine doctor. So I travel so much that uh, patient follow-up on uh, surgery cases became rather challenging. And at some point I just decided, hey, it's more important for me to see cases and do internal medicine and be a treatment room doctor than to uh, keep trying to do surgery uh, when in my schedule is in flux. And mm-hmm. so it has been a while since I have done a lot of anesthesia, but uh, but yeah, but I still practice pretty darn regularly. Awesome. Um, and so I know that because you practice regularly and because this is part of your, you know, just something you lecture on and something that you believe in, kind of both of us believe in and what I wanted to talk about is really technician utilization, Mm -hmm. making sure that veterinary clinics are utilizing their technicians to the best of their ability, especially when it comes to anesthesia and pain management, client education, um, just being that point person between the client and the doctor. Mm -hmm. So most of the time I give my guests a case and we run down a case together and how we would manage it anesthetically. So instead what I wanted to do with you is kind of give you a case being the animal hospital itself and how do you think that we can best utilize technicians or do you think that there are any missed opportunities when it comes to using technicians to the best of their abilities? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I just want to start off by saying if you hear the sound of chewing rubber, (laughs) that's not me. That is my dog who is happily camped out underneath the microphone, just <laughs> going to town uh, on his on his chew toy. And so, if there's heavy panting, that's also not me. <laughs> there's uh, anything like that you hear in the background. So yeah, the use of technicians in veterinary medicine, I think, is in a massive shift right now. I think there's a lot of opportunities that are not being taken. I think the way that we practice medicine is transitioning. I think that technicians are getting to do more and more stuff. I think technician pay is getting better. It's still got a long way to go, but I think it's improving. I am very optimistic about the future of veterinary technicians as a career. And so, yes, I think that we are going to see in the next 10 years pretty significant changes in how we utilize our technicians. And yes, I think we're missing a lot of tricks right now. Yeah. So one of those tricks that I know, something that I have done research on personally has been really when you utilize the technicians actually makes the hospital itself much more profitable. Sure. Um, So can you talk to that at all for us? Yeah, sure. A lot of it is how you do it, right? So we've got, um, it's hard to get good technicians right now. And everybody knows that. It's harder to get good doctors right now. So we have fewer doctors. We've only got about 33 vet schools in the country. They turn out 100 veterinarians a year on average. And these are just rough numbers, but you get the general gist. 
There's not a lot of veterinarians and uh, people keep going, we have to get more veterinarians. No, you don't really. I mean, it helps to have more veterinarians, but we can make our veterinarians a lot more efficient. We can see a lot more appointments if we leverage our technicians. And, you know, I see doctors that insist on doing everything. So how do you square those things? And I looked at him and I said, what time do you go to work in the morning? And he said, uh, I'm there by 8, uh, 8.15. And I said, what time do you go home at night? And he said, about 9 o'clock. And I said, you're done, man. Like, you are tapped out. You are working from 8.15 until 9 o'clock at night. And you cannot scale up. You cannot see any more appointments. You cannot grow yourself. You cannot grow your practice. You cannot scale your services you're done. You're tapped out. I bet you're tired. And he was like, yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> and, and like, that's, that's because you're not thinking systematically. You're just thinking about yourself. And so, um, the, you know, the volume of clients that we can see is, is enormous if we leverage our technicians. And so a lot of it is, uh, you can definitely make your practice more profitable. There's no doubt about it, but it's not just freestyling and being like, Hey, Tasha, you do the, you just, you just do more and I'll do less. At some point, you have to think about this systemically, right? And so, heck yeah, you can use your technicians more, but you have to get on the same page with them, right? You and I have to get together and be like, all right, what are you going to do and what am I going to do and how are we going to make these things work? The first thing to really do, the easiest way to start making technician lives better and to figure out how to make your practice profitable is you take an appointment and you hold it in your hands like a block and you say, this is an appointment. And then you smack it on your knee and you break it into pieces because that's how appointments work. They're not a block. People think that an appointment is this undividable brick of one appointment. That's ridiculous. Appointments are modular, right? Pet owners come in, we communicate, we find out what's going on, we get a history, we do a good workup, you know, we do a quick overview physical examination, what are they here for, what's been going on, get the story, start building the relationship and building rapport. People think that that relationship building and trust building happens when the doctor comes into the room and that's ridiculous. And so we start building the trust. We start uh, getting that history, getting this objective, putting those things together. And then the doctor can come in, and that's the next little module is the actual physical exam. When I put my hands on the pet, I do the physical exam, I talk to them about what's going on, and then we decide what diagnostics we're going to do. And that's a module of taking the pet, doing the diagnostics, doing the things that need to be done. And then there's the treatment, and then they're circling back in to communicate after that. And when you break your appointment up into these little modules, you're like, oh... The idea that the doctor has to do an appointment is ridiculous. The doctor does the second module, which is the physical exam, and the doctor does the reporting diagnostics and either ordering more diagnostics or ordering treatment. And those are the only two pieces that the doctor does, which means the majority of the appointment is technician-driven. And so you put it that way and you go, oh, well, I can have a technician doing uh, 60% of this appointment. And then I, as a doctor... Instead of doing 100% of the appointment, I can do another appointment and another half an appointment after that all at the same time. And so I'm suddenly seeing three appointments instead of one because I've got other technicians that are taking those modules and doing the other pieces around what I have to do. One of the simplest things to do is stop looking at the appointment as an appointment and start looking at it as pieces and modules of an appointment. And then you can bring your technicians in in a systematic, organized way. And suddenly your doctors are seeing three appointments instead of one appointment just because they're thinking about their little modules instead of thinking about whole appointments. Yeah. Well, that's a great point because I think that it's going to apply to appointments, but you can definitely extrapolate that out to surgery appointments as well, right? Your surgical appointment isn't just 
go and do the spay. It's we have to intake the patient, talk to the client. How do we need to give any pre-visit sedatives? Do we need to review any blood work? And if we find abnormalities in that blood work, relay it to the doctor. I mean, one of the things that I lecture about and I tell the technicians is the doctor is going to do a physical exam the day of surgery, but I empower the technicians to kind of do the cursory exam. I want you guys to listen. I want the technicians to listen. Do you hear an arrhythmia? Do you hear anything that's different than noted last time? Bring that to your doctor's attention so you guys can work together as a team. And you know, you do parts of the pre-anesthetic project and then the doctor is going to go and look at the blood work, make recommendations, actually ultimately do the surgery, prescribe the post-operative medications, but everything else can be technician driven. Oh, sure. I think there are two things. I, I think the idea that a technician examination is not valuable is the biggest display of baseless ego that you can have. You know, the idea that you're not going to run your pets over your hands over this pet and point out something to me and say, do you feel a lump in his belly? Or did you notice that his pulses are particularly weak? Or do you think his gums are a little pale? They just look pale to me. And raising that as a flag to attract the doctor's attention. Like, we're all human beings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We get distracted. I'm getting ready to look in the pet's mouth. And right then the owner asks me a question and says, well, what about this? And maybe I don't give that one little piece of the examination the attention that it deserves. Or by the time I get to the pet's mouth, he's done being messed with. And now I'm being very safety conscious. I'm not getting a very good look. But you got to look earlier on and there's an area of concern. And I go, oh. I need to prioritize this or we need to look deeper here. And so there's just, it just makes total sense. The other thing is I want to make the best technicians possible. And one of the things that makes technicians a great is experience. That's that skill building. There's only so much we can learn didactically. I'm glad people listen to the podcast, but at some point to be a great technician, you got to put your hand on the animals. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You have to palpate bellies. You have to feel pulses. You have to, you know, check pupils. You have to look at um, skin tint you know, and turgor and, and hydration status. Like you have to put your hands on those animals. And so the more hand time on animals, the better off you are. And then you've got a highly competent person who is looking at pets before you look at them or after you look at them. The last thing is the discharge exam, you know, and this is just, uh, this is, I, I put this in customer service because I mean, we, I just show you a, a quick example and it will sound kind of trivial, but bear with me. We had a um, we had a dog that came in for bathing and grooming, and then the dog he got walked multiple times during the day. And of course, it was this goofy labradoodle, and of course, he pees in his run and lays in it right before the owner gets there. And the kennel assistant goes and throws the leash on the dog, and we get an angry call because she's mm -hmm. halfway home, and the the car smells like piss, and it just you know she's she's upset and understandably so. And so, what can we do? Just basically having staff who can run their hands over a pet before they go out the door and say, this pet is acceptable to go home. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's valuable, having a trustworthy person who can make those calls and just say, yep, everything looks good. So, I said it looks untrivial. That scales. Like, that scales up to, hey, we're discharging this surgery. Why wouldn't you want your technician to put their hands on that pet real quick? Just check that respiratory rate, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of times, it's the little things, the subtle things that we notice. We say, is she breathing normally? Is she breathing naturally? The way mm -hmm. she's sitting is weird. And those are the flags that really catch big things. Mm -hmm. And so your technicians are looking at that pet more than I am. You know, I, of course, I want people who spot the abnormal and they, and they raise flags. And so, you know, technician utilization, technician education is just, it makes all the sense in the world. 
So I want to kind of offshoot on just what you said now. And I know that you and I have actually lectured on this subject before at previous conferences when we've lectured together. And that's the education part. Mm-hmm. It's what I hear from a lot of Texas. They'll come to the, the anesthesia nerds conference and we'll be going over really, you know, cool cutting edge things or things they could try in their clinic. And then they might message me and say, hey, I, what I learned in Anesthesia Nerds Conference was great, but my doctor is afraid to let me implement it. And they sent me to learn these new techniques, but they don't want to implement them or they, they don't think that, you know, it's the right time. How do you as a doctor, if you've sent your technician, how do you build that trust? You know, you and I have talked about if you learn an epidural, but your clinic's not usually doing epidurals, mm-hmm. how can the doctor and tech work together to build those new skills, build that trust? Right. Cool. So uh, so in those cases when uh, I have a technician come back in and I want to try something, the technician wants to try something, and I'm trying to think about how to get the practice on board or things like like mm-hmm. that, one of the first things that I want to do is lower the stakes as much as possible. Okay. Now, a lot of times I think we go get educated and we go get training and we come back and our first thought is this is going to be the new way, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is how we'll <laughs> do it and we'll get everybody doing it and we'll do these for yeah. all of our surgeries. Yeah. And that may be what should happen. Like, that may be the best thing. The idea of that is scary, right? Because people, oh, yeah. everybody change likes... Change is scary. Exactly. Especially change in anesthesia. Especially change in <laughs> anesthesia. Exactly right. So it, it's scary. So my mental exercise here is I sit back and I cross my arms and I think for a second, how do I lower the stakes and the risk? Because anesthesia is risk management, right? Definitely. It's yes. risk management, risk mitigation. I'm not going to go in and say, guys, we need to start doing this for all of the patients. What I'm going to say is, guys, I want to do this for a patient. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I want to do this for a very specific number of patients. And then we're going to take particular interest in this patient's recovery. And we're going to make sure everything goes completely fine. You know? Yeah. And really focus on that. So lower those stakes. This is not a big change. This is one case that I just want to do this in. And the way that I communicate that and say it is important because what happens is people, they get that cortisol surge and they, they get afraid and they just start catastrophizing. And they're like, what if all the patients are having these reactions and blah, blah, mm-hmm. Like, nope, we're just going to do one and we're going to start with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Other things that I do to try to start coaxing the clinic along after we've done this, after we've lowered the stakes as much as we can, it may be, hey, um, let's see if we could get someone to come in and hold our hand while we do this. Do we know people who are doing this in their practice who'd be comfortable stopping by Mm -hmm. and just watching me while I do this? I know you do in-clinic training, and so you go to practices and walk people through this. For me, a lot of times, as a doctor, that's that's a great, easy investment. I want to do these things. I would love Tasha McNerney to come and just stand beside me and watch me do this with my own hands a couple of times. And that, again, risk mitigation, it's Mm -hmm. just lowering the stakes and makes me feel good. So is there somebody who can be there to walk through this with me, lay eyes on what I'm doing? I think that it makes me feel better. The other things that I like to do um, is teaching. If I want to really empower my technicians, one of the things that I can do as a vet to really empower my techs to give them credibility to open doors for them is I will ask them to teach at the staff meetings 
so say you're starting to do some of these and you're doing um, you're doing dental blocks mm-hmm. that that maybe the other techs aren't doing and we like that let's just be real clear that needs to happen like that needs to be the standard of care but let's say it's not at our practice and I right. know it's not at yeah. a lot of practices it's not a lot of practices it, yeah it's so, just yeah. true I mean your listeners are the people who love anesthesia. They are going to be probably yeah. very advanced. So we are talking to a very advanced audience here. Mm-hmm. I just want to make clear to those people, a lot of our colleagues are far behind. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we can take, let's just take dental blocks because we can all probably agree that these need to happen, uh, that they're very much in uh, the the skill set of your trained and licensed technicians. Oh, definitely. All right. So I will get somebody to come in and watch us do them the first time. I love that. We're going to start on a couple of patients and we're going to watch them and watch how they recover and follow up with the owners again. Just lower the stakes. Everything's going to be fine. We are really mm-hmm. covering this. And then if I want to continue to grow my technician and empower her, what I would say is, hey, Tasha, would you be willing to do a presentation on dental blocks at the staff meeting? And that has a multiple good effects. So, right, first of all, I am pushing your education forward, whether you like it or not. I'm kind of yeah. chucking you out the mm-hmm. education plane and being like, all right, learn to fly. Right. So you're going to dot your I's and cross your T's, because I know you're taking this seriously and you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Run this down for me. You know, let's put together a good presentation. It's going to force you to really make sure you're doing your research, learn your stuff, which is great, good for you and good for your growth. It's going to help the other staff because they're going to see you talking about it which makes it feel more doable, right? It's one thing for like, hey guys, we brought in this boarded anesthesiologist and he's going to talk about how we uh, should be doing things. Mm-hmm. The fact the boarded anesthesiologist does this does not necessarily click the way that my fellow technician saying, this is how we do it and this is how we did it. That seems much more attainable for me. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one of, the, one of the great strengths of technicians as educators is the approachability that they have. And so getting you to talk to my staff as one of our technicians, that makes the other staff feel like this is something they might actually be able to do. And the last thing that people don't think about is when I get you to teach in my staff meeting, I am sending messages to the other doctors that you know this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I am endorsing you publicly by saying, hey guys, I asked Tasha to do this for us. She's going to do this presentation. Everybody cool with that. So I am endorsing you by saying, I would like Tasha to do this. I think she'd be really great. But if they see you teaching at some deep level, they assume competence that you have. Yeah. More so than me telling you, no, you should watch her. She's really good. When they mm-hmm. see you explain it to someone else in their own minds, this is a big deal for your credibility. Yeah. And so a lot of times I put my technicians in that position for all those reasons, but it can help get the doctors on board if you can lead an educational session, especially if they see you do it. Thanks so much, Dr. Andy, for being a guest here on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. And we always look forward to having you and hearing your perspective, especially since you are such an advocate for veterinary technicians and nurses and being such an important part of the veterinary team. If you guys are interested in hearing more from Dr. Andy Rourke, you can check his podcast out. It's the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you guys are interested in hearing more from us anesthesia nerds, check out our other podcast episodes and hit us up on Instagram at Vet Anesthesia Nerds and check out the Facebook page. We hope that you guys are having, you know, a time. I don't want to say a good time because right now in the world things are a little bit crazy. So we hope you're taking it as easy as possible. If you are one of those people who are out there working all the ER shifts, 
Make sure you're using your social distancing measures, washing your hands, and doing the absolute best you can to keep you and your family safe. Until next time, nerds, we'll see you later. Yeah.